Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Cohen Bioma Law, PLLC, is 100% native-owned and operated, founded by Vern Cohen Bioma. Their practice areas include corporate law, business transactions, finance, economic development, gaming, casino development, online gaming, real estate, environmental permitting and approvals, telecommunications, government affairs, employment and labor relations, historic preservation and cultural resources, and energy. Cohen Bioma Law is committed to making positive and lasting change in our communities as they support nonprofit volunteers community activism and employing Indian preference in hiring and vendor relations. everybody out there thank thank you for listening to carl and j man save the world podcast my name is carl and you are listening to a special episode because i threw j man out the window this morning because he was being an ass so you're going to be listening to my beautiful voice along with my lovely assistant aj go ahead and introduce yourself hey everyone i'm aj i am the technical media assistant for carl and j man podcast all right perfect thank you and i know it's going to be a a weird a weird episode because without j-man saying you know his uh his five star thing and i got tired of it as well too so i'm pretty sure everybody out there got tired of of the five star five whatever five copper shells or i don't know what he says sometimes so Today we do have a uh, we do have guest we do have a special guest that's going to be joining us. His uh, he you know we we're going to be talking about uh, the basically we're going to be talking about like the alternative um, like style of uh, what what is it dance to Hopis I guess you could say but more traditional style to uh, Plains Indians or like you know North eastern indians you know those those types of indians and yes we're going to be talking about uh, powwow so i know that it, it, powwow is something that is i have no idea what powwow is you know I, I don't i don't understand it i don't know what what goes on i don't know why they wear the numbers when you're when you're doing that you know i don't know what the chicken dance is versus like you know the the traditional, whatever the, uh, I don't know what, what is it? The, the hawk dance thing. I don't know what they call it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's so grass weird. Yeah. The yeah. The grass dance. What was, what was that other one too? The, um, there was, uh, the hoop dance. There's a hoop dance going on. There's the grass dance. There's traditional, there's the chicken. There's, oh, there's fancy dance. I remember there's fancy dance. Yeah. And jingle. And jingle, jingle dance, yeah. And all of those, I guess, back then, it just sort of like honored like the different songs and the different uh, styles of uh, of like the, the different times that they had back then. And I, I really don't understand all of that, but I'm pretty sure 
that our, our guest here will kind of uh, explain a little bit more about the powwow and the powwow scene there. Because lately, I think the, back in the early early 60s or 70s, that's when like, you know, the powwow scene kind of came to fruition here on the on the Hopi reservation so it was it was more more or less like you know the like a new like a new style of um um like dance and everybody loved it like just the same way as like uh uh what was it the Santa Santa Domingo buffalo dances or like you know the the hopo kind of dances you know when when they first came out with that, you know, when back in the early 60s, 70s, I believe. And they hope he's thought it was it was a it was a cool thing. You know, it was it was something that that they that they made where it's like, oh, man, we got to we got to get we got to jump on this bandwagon here. And it's it's something that that has been going on from from that time there. So I know that a lot, a lot of the times is that we don't really, well, us, well, me, myself, I guess so. Myself, I really don't understand uh, the, the whole scenic part of it. So it's just, it's just something that, you know, I guess that hope he's like and like to do. And I, I believe that AJ, she makes these uh, ribbon skirts, right? You make yeah. the ribbon skirts. Yeah, I do. And, and so like... The ribbon skirts are mainly made for like uh, like the powwow scene or like the the northern Indians, the plain Indians, and they have significant um, you know meaning to each of the ribbons, I believe. Like you know the different colors, and they wear that on special occasions as well too. So AJ, tell me like you know how did you get involved with that? How did you find that out, and why did you start to make those uh, ribbon skirts? So, um, originally my mediums were, um, not clothing or anything in that field. I started out as a painter and, um, drawer and stuff like that. So that was what I began in, but in my undergraduate degree, I was, um, in the Native American and Indigenous Studies department. And my professor, who did a lot of the classes that I took, her name was Dr. Boxer. Um, I applaud her for a lot of the things that I know now. But she was um, very open about these art forms, and she was the one who taught me how to do them. Yeah. She taught me how to do ribbon skirts, dentalium earrings, and um, beadwork. So, and uh, three did, different kinds did they of did she actually tell you like the meaning behind each one of those or so what is the meaning behind the ribbon skirt? So the ribbon skirts themselves are more of a contemporary item. Um, they're not traditional um, to a dis, to a degree, I would say. So um, the reason that they're not traditional is because the items came from the 1800s. We didn't acquire. Um, cotton fabric and satin ribbons until the 1800s yeah. through trading from the um, soldiers. And so originally how ribbon skirts started, they were out of necessity and not out of um, a want for something pretty. Yeah. So at the forts, you know, um, in when tribes signed their treaty agreements, they agreed to receive rations um, from the government and these rations included clothing adequate um, 
or it didn't have to be adequate, but it included clothing, it included food, and it included um, supplies to become agriculturalists. And so, and, and so this was traded um, with with Hopi, or was it traded through like through the just northern, the native? native okay, uh, mostly oh, okay. northern because you know, as Hopis, we didn't sign treaties. Yeah, we didn't make those agreements with the government, but with the um, tribes, the other. 400 plus who did sign um, treaty agreements in signing them and agree in agreeing to be um, peaceable from that for um, that place forward. Yeah. They agreed to receive um, certain services from the government, which included healthcare, educational assistance and um, these rations, which now could be considered what, commodity food is and things like that <laughs> so, you know so they uh, gave us food they gave us things that were supposed to the, the food stamps came our, out yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. it was things supposed to sustain us and so in those supplies were clothing which meant um fabric and yeah. things to make clothing with it wasn't actual clothing and so um because of the negative relationship that the soldiers had with the um native people to make life more difficult on them and to promote the eradication of the people. Yeah. They did everything they could to make the supplies that were being given as unusable as possible. So these yards of fabric that were supposed to be given as um, clothing or supplies to the natives were shredded and were ripped up and basically just... um, deteriorated by the soldiers and they would hand these piles of scraps over to the people and tell them here's your fabric you know and here's your ribbons see what you can do with it and then that's and when that's how they that's started how they... piecing together and that's also how seminal patchwork um applique came to be was yeah. you know the use of this scrap in a way that was beautiful yeah, and so and, it grew and, from that. And a lot of that, uh, a lot of those dresses and the, a lot of the designs on there, the patchworks that you said, you know, it reflects on the the powwow and the powwow scene. You know, they they dress in beautiful outfits. You know, all especially the women. You know, yeah. the women wear these beautiful shawls, these beautiful dresses, and uh, it all signifies like the the birth of like, um, I guess it's like the inter integration of like of like lost treaties or unsigned treaties and and you know the the devastation of the the tribe there and and i i, I kind of get it now i kind of get that uh that sense where it's like you know they're they're making something that they've been doing for a very long long time and then integrating it with like you u.s modern yeah modern materials yeah. u.s uh you know all of these different types of things like that so i i do i kind of get it now i kind of get that so to me it's a piece of um it's an example of resiliency yeah yeah so i like you know like the the powwow that that the powwow scene that's that's here on the hopi reservation you know we just barely got involved with it you know it just happened i believe in the 60s and the 70s and and yeah it's something that's new and something that's like it's something that you know hopi's hopi's want to do and i i i don't know i don't i don't really understand why but it's it sounds interesting, you know. I, I'm pretty sure that you heard a lot of powwow yeah. CDs and stuff like that. And I 
what I my view on it is that a lot of it does have to do with the that resurgence of culture in the yeah. 60s that you know like along with aim yeah and so that idea of urban natives having a space to call their own is part of it but yeah. I also think that part of why we're seeing it here on the reservation here in, on Hopi is because of the intermarriages of tribal people so we have a lot of um our own tribal members who are now marrying people or having children with people who are from northern tribes and other tribes and so in that comes that integration of their culture yeah it's yeah it's so strange because yeah there's a lot of um hopis that are marrying off the reservation and we did cover that in previous episodes and yeah there's and when we when we integrate with that yeah we want to integrate Hopi culture with another culture like that and then in comes you know all of this different styles of of textiles that coming upon too like you know the dresses the Hopi dresses now are having designs on the side you know I, I you know it, it's just it's I guess it's more like a fashion statement more yeah, more is. or less like that and like you know the Hopi belt are becoming more brighter in colors like you know different colors where it's not just red black and green it, it's it's like you know purple yellow and fuchsia or something Every like color that. under the rainbow yeah and it, it's so strange to me it's like i i like the ideas of like the designs and stuff like that but you know it, i guess it's more or less like the commercial part of it, it it's like trying to get yeah of your own culture yeah yeah and yeah. and and, and so, like you know, have you seen the the sun's jersey? Remember yeah. the sun's jersey? Yeah, yeah. It it's a great way to capitalize on Native, Native American. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking. Of. And it, it's it's a it's a great way to say that hey, natives, we designed something from for your own you culture. Guys. Yeah, for you guys, <laughs> but you have to pay us a premium in order for uh, for you. Yeah, you. we're not going to give it to you. So anybody who is a Suns fans out there, you know. Ask for a free jersey because you're that's your design. You, yeah, you know? just like how we're supposed to get into national parks free. Yeah, like get a free jersey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like I I like the design. I'm like I like the the colors of it, but like you know, capitalizing on our own our own designs and stuff like that. That just kind of makes it more or less like man you guys are you guys just want money from us natives. It, it's basically trying to wipe us out for like by insulting us basically i understand why it was done i understand that it was for visibility and from promotion of culture but i do think that only spending probably two months prior to this month on the campaign yeah you know all year yeah is not enough yeah um they could easily have hired multiple native american artists to come up with you know, 10 different designs and yeah. narrowed it down and offered three or four different designs of the jersey. And it's hard for me to really um, get behind it. For one, only because, like you said, it's um, it's meant to make money for this entity that will never give back to Native Americans. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know That's who, the biggest thing. You know, only one Native got paid from that whole campaign, yeah. which is that woman who made, who the, made the medallions. medallions. That's yeah. it. That's the only, that's the only Native and who got paid. Imagine, too, 
I hope that they paid her top dollar oh, for she, her work. Of course no, not. No, but of course you not. know, that's what was that's what was offered, I guess. Yeah. You know, it, it's a nice opportunity to be part of something, but if you're gonna offer it, it needs to be done to the best of its ability and not just the bare minimum. You know, uh, J-Man would probably argue with us about the whole thing. Like, you know, don't be talking about my sons that way. You know, it's like, that's a cool jersey. I'll pay pro top premium for that <laughs> thing like that. Cause I'm a white man and I like to do things a white man does. Yeah, he probably would say that, so. I think he does have his own opinion on the jersey. <laughs> For sure. So, j I know you're listening to this. So, you're a white man who likes to capitalize on Native American art. So, congratulations, man. But anyway, we're going to go ahead and uh, bring on our special guest here. He has been in the powwow scene for basically his entire life, I believe. And he's he's more or less, you know, he, he has this knowledge about like the history about like the the Hopi powwow scene versus like you know the Plains Indians northern you know all of these different types of woodland Indians out there and so we're going to go ahead and bring him on here uh Kyle uh are you there Hello yeah I'm here. yeah perfect why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself uh hello podcast people I'm Kyle Sikakasu um I'm from Shingo. I'm from the Bearshap clan. I'm currently here in Southern Utah University in Cedar City. Um, and a correction, uh, I didn't really grow up in this power life. I like barely started. Like right when, before COVID happened, when I started dancing, but I've been singing for like maybe like two years before a year before. Yeah. But I'm still brand new in this whole thing. But Oh, okay. But I'm excited to talk about whatever whatever the <laughs> we're here to do. All right. Perfect. Perfect. So what got you involved with this powwow? What was the what was the driving force behind this thing here? Um well before all this, I was one of Believe it or not, I was one of the Hopis that were kind of against powwow because um, my dad, my my mom's side, they're really too concerned with it. But from my father's side, um, you know, they're Baka from Bakari, and you know, they're one of those hardcore, real tradition um, aspect people, and so they're always anti, you know, um, like big buffaloes, and then with powwow, yeah. so I kind of grew up with that attitude. Um, but as I got older with Hopi, um, I didn't get into the dancing scene until I was in high school. Yeah. And as I grew older, I, um, I've been coached a lot for my brother and my goddad and we do all these performances. And then, um, then I started, you know, noticing that I was a, being a good dancer. Um, and a lot of people told me that. And so my love of dancing grew. And of course, with singing, I like to sing, and um, and it was it was until I left from home to high school uh, to Phoenix for community college. Um, it was during Thanksgiving, and my brother wanted to come to here to Cedar City because there's a tribe here, the Cedar Band of Pipes. They have a, a powwow every Thanksgiving, and so he wanted to come up here to sing to um, get a little group together, drum group, and come up here and sing for a powwow. 
And with me, I was like, um, I like to sing. I was like, you know what? I'll hop in. Um, I don't mind mind singing because, you know, it's just in general, I like to um, hit the drum, sing. So we come up here, sing our songs, sing, give it our all, and then we won. We won the power here. Mm. And so at that point, I was more interested in, in singing with the drum group. So with that, we went to hit up with all these powwows, um, singing our songs and placing here and there. But in the middle of all that, I, I really watched all the dancers, all these different categories and watching them, all these people, well-known uh, names, um, winning in these powwows. And then my competitive side started coming out. And then I was thinking to myself, you know what? How many, how many Hopis out there win these powwows? How many dancers out there have a, have a Hopi name out there? And it's like very few, only like a handful. And in my, in my mind, I was like, shoot, man, I could probably be all these Desova and all these other people. And so I had an interest in um, the chicken category. And so I, started, I went on YouTube, studied some dances, practicing in my room, all these dance moves. And I got a good friend. Um, his name was RJ. Yeah. And he kind of taught me all, kind of like what it is, what a chicken dance was, what's all about, and all these dance moves within it. And then I started making my own clothes and I put myself out there, started dancing. And I was rough because, you know, it wasn't, it was, it was something brand new. So I probably looked kind of silly out there, funny looking. But then jump forward to like a year later, I after COVID, because COVID stopped everything, and then when everything opened back up, um, I got back out there with my own clothes um, and started dancing these powwows. And then pretty soon I started placing, and most of them up to this point. So um, that's just how everything kind of started with me. So like, you know, um, did did anybody get like uh, mad at you or were, were there like mixed feelings about you doing this, uh, you know, other thing like that, like the powwow scene? Did your dad say anything about that or did your relatives say anything about this? Um, not that I know, none of my family members really confronted about this. Not my mom's side. Um, my father's side, I think, because my grandparents, by the time I started doing this, they're kind of like just too old to care. Yeah. And so they kind of gave me like interest and kind of encouraged like, Oh cool. Yeah. Keep it up. Just keep dancing. Yeah. And, um, but I have no, no one has come up to me and, you know, telling me it's wrong, but, um, I know I've had like maybe a few cases cause I, I do my own beat work. Yeah. And, um, and with my designs, I like to put Hopi designs in there. But I leave some of come on, some like northern influence design in there. Yeah, that's just kind of to give like I guess a homage or respect to to them because really this is theirs. And I know there were some artists, non Hopi artists, that kind of didn't like that. But I didn't really put my reasons why I did that. I just maybe I, I don't know. I just assume other things. Yeah. Um. I think that was like the only backlash I had. You know, it's it's very interesting that you know how like Hopis they they want to keep Hopi as Hopi, 
but yet there are younger generations like yourself and and younger generation that wants to like branch out and try to integrate with with all of that do you do you kind of uh agree with that or do you kind of like maybe uh are against that whole idea of of integration like that like you know just keeping hopi more traditional or just like maybe the in the like more like marrying the the cultures together and to form like this like a super group or like this homage of of cultures to i know because we do it a lot with like the navajos with like the apaches but we do it by dancing but not not more or less like their own culture that we're we're just sort of like paying tribute to them as through dancing like that do you kind of see it as a way like that uh when you're dancing like in the powwow scene or or is it just more or less like you know let's integrate all of our cultures together and form one super group i guess my aspect is going to be different from everybody because one i'm i'm from somopoli and i grew up in all these important things you know like adjustive women antelope stuff and then our continuing me, Katina stuff. So I kind of grew up with that first. And you know, later in life, I got into this powwow stuff. But uh, I know when to keep that separate. Because, um, you know, powwow, the way I look at it, powwow is really the selfie. It's like, at least for, you know, Hopi aspect. Yeah. It's all kind of do for, um, I guess, my fun time. Because I go out there do whatever um but like at the end of the day I took all the all those clothes off and I'm a Hopi and I, I understand that that's kind of it's important to keep that separate yeah um, that is true and like you know you said that you did bead work and everything like that so how did you get started in that what was your motivation to get, <laughs> get started in uh, bead work so I really um I have a friend named Brent, Brent Charlie. Yeah. And he has a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and I saw he had a pair of beaded cuffs. And um, and I fell in love with those cuffs. Uh, they were they were sparkly. They were colorful. And um, and there was a dance coming up, and I wanted to borrow it, but someone had already uh, asked them, and so I couldn't borrow those cuffs. And um, I knew a friend who could bead. And so I hit, her up, I hit her up and I was like, can you make me a cuff kind of like these? Um, and I don't know like what kind of beats to use or whatnot. I, I knew nothing about beadwork. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, yeah. And this was during my, high, my senior year. And we you know we're raising money to go to our senior trip. And so I, didn't, I hardly spent money on that trip because I was saving up for those cuffs. I, I saved a lot of money. And then when I came back, asked her again I was like I got money I can pay you and then she said oh sorry I can't do it and I was like man I was heartbroken so I was sad I was like you know what I can probably make it myself and so I looked up YouTube I looked at pictures and um the only beads I knew was the ones that out of Michael's and they weren't really those good, that good of a bead but yeah. I went there I bought a bunch of beads got a uh, I remember I used um just regular canvas canvas material and I just, I don't know, I, no one really taught me, so I just winged it. And then it came out, it wasn't good, but, you know, there were a pair of cubs, my first pair of cubs. I remember they were silver. Yeah. And they were like kind of low quality beads, but I was proud of them. 
and then I just kept make beat it a bunch of other things and um, people started telling me like what beats to use how to do them all these different techniques and after that I started just kept beating I didn't really stop and so now it kind of really took over my time other than painting but that's how I got into it <laughs> so basically YouTube taught you how to dance powwow and then yeah, YouTube taught you how YouTube to be YouTube uh, pictures <laughs> 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 so quick question Kyle what kind of beadwork do you do one needle two needle stitch I never knew that was an uh, option when I first started it was like one needle but I forgot how I, I did it all, all wonky so like the texture is not like nice and flat it was all like bumpy but now I kind of switched back and forth from lazy stitch to two needle five stitch can't do two needle it's too complicated for me yeah, you do the beadwork too, right? Yeah, I yeah can do that's right. One I needle, about that. two needle, lazy stitch, and then um, saddle stitch. Uh, there's another one too. I can't think. Taylor stitch, um, saddle stitch, whip stitch. No, there's another one that I can't think of. It's like a. It is. It's a flat stitch, but it's it's a one needle, but it's not how people do it down here. So like, um, they put it through the beads, not over the beads. So they go through the bead holes. So, you know, imagine it like... Yeah. I, is it, is instead that, of like that. Yeah. Okay. So there's tons of ways to bead and it's all referred to as one needle and two needle technique. I wonder yeah. what that that lady who made the sun's medallions, what, what, I wonder what that she like made. like two needle because oh, yeah. it was so flat. And so that's kind of uh, what that means is flat uh-huh. stitch. So it lays so flat because you tack each bead down almost or oh, every really? other bead. Yeah. Really? And so the tighter it is, the sturdier it is, the like least. Um, so you're tacking down less beads every time. So <laughs> if you tack down every single bead, it's going to be super compact and tight but if yeah, you're doing every yeah. four five six eight beads it's going to be looser and less um flat huh yeah i have no idea what you just said <laughs> but i'm pretty sure that <laughs> i'm pretty sure that kyle knows what you what you were talking about i just heard stitch and then my mind just went blank <laughs> afterwards so like you know it, it, it you know doing powwow you know there was a, a group uh called um what was it out here bear shield yeah bear shield you know that that uh that group out here right kyle Bear Shield. Uh, i think when i was a kid yeah yeah they're still yeah, they, yeah. There was a, a group out here called Bear Shield, and they—I believe that they toured um, places as well too around Arizona and parts of Utah or something. I don't know. I'm not too familiar with that, but they did have a powwow. They like during the early or early 2000s, they would have powwows out here on the Hopi Reservation. And yeah, down at Hungry Bear. Yeah, yeah. I remember, oh, yeah, that. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and in the early 2000s, you know, people loved it. People loved going to the powwows. And I went down there one night. I went down there and it was, it was, it was loud, you know, <laughs> it was loud and crazy. And, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, it was so weird. Cause like there was just singing and I thought they were going to be like dancing. You know, I thought there was going to be like a fry bread and <laughs> stuff like that. I didn't, I didn't know that it was just going to be singing, but I believe that there were like three groups, three or four groups that were playing or like drumming as well too and I, I don't i i think they were just sort of like integrating like the hopi songs with like uh like plains indian songs or the northern indian uh songs there as well too 
and it sounded it sounded nice. I, I have I must admit that it did sound nice, but you know it it, it has a lot of like fla- uh, like you know um, flack with it. You know where where people more or less like say why why are you integrating those songs like that those Hopi traditional songs with other songs like that, and so like. I know that you you've uh, sung before in in a you know in powwow groups like that. So, do you know like the the significance behind the songs that you are singing, Kyle? What's the question? Like you know, like when you're singing, do you know like what the the significance behind each of the songs that you are singing in the powwow in powwow? I guess. Oh, um, yeah. I mean. Not what I'm singing. <laughs> singing about. Um, I think. Yeah, I think it's just sort of like more as a tool. Yeah. To kind of like learn how to how to sing Hopi words, how to use them right, and um, and it's fun when you make them because you, uh, you know each song is gonna go to a certain like dance category. Yeah. And so you know it tells like a story. Um kind of tells like a message to either the dancers or like the spectators yeah and then um in some songs uh it brings out um I don't know it brings, just brings out good mood and it gives like that good mood to the dancers and it has them um I don't know dance away I guess <laughs> well that's good so um AJ you you've been to several powwows before right yeah and and you, you, you've heard. And it w- explain to me, like, what is the 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 whole powwow scene? Like, how do you go, or what do you what do you bring? Do you bring like uh, like uh, cigarettes or? <laughs> um, well, first thing, you always got to bring something to sit on. <laughs> something to sit on your own chair, your powwow chair, um, your powwow bag that has all your supplies in it. Um, you know, things to. Got to have your cash for the vendors. Got to have your power bag to carry the yeah. things that you buy. Yeah. Um, appetite, of course. Um, chapstick, just in <laughs> chapstick. case, just well, in case you make greasy, out. So <laughs> you don't need the chapstick. <laughs> um, but so see, my fri- fri- uh, grease, just in case you make out. <laughs> my uh, experience with um, powwows is a little different because I myself yeah. don't dance. You know, I am. You're just more of a I'm spectator. Hopi, yeah, I'm Hopi in Navajo, so I don't feel any reason to be dancing. Yeah. And I just um, don't have that connection to it. But my family, um, they're married. One of my aunts is married to a um, Rosebud Sakongu Lakota man. Oh, really? And um, they're the ones who really showed me that side. Yeah. So I'm yeah. real familiar with like Lakota culture and so that's what I'm more used to is how they conduct powwows up north and up north it's they're huge they're way bigger um they're way bigger there's more dancers there's more um people in the northern traditional categories yeah a lot less people in the southern categories because southern you know dancing comes from down here it comes from the south obviously and so I'm used to northern style powwows where there's a lot of um, excitement, a lot of excitement, yeah. a lot going on, a lot of vendors, um, a lot, lot more kissing <laughs> and making out, yeah. a lot of snagging, a lot of snagging, a <laughs> lot more snagging. And so you know, I'm I down here. 
I've only ever been to um, Salt River Pow Wow, Red Mountain Eagle Pow Wow, um, ASU Pow Wow, and a couple others you yeah. know, here on the South. And so they're different because they, to me, it seems like there's less energy. But yeah. it's because to me that we're just, um, like Kyle said, you know, we're just all now getting into it. Down yeah. Here. Yeah. And so up north, they've been doing it for a hundred years. Time and memorial and, kind of stuff. Um, yeah. You know, I was always curious as to how the dances started because I always, uh, personally, I always didn't understand why it was a competitive dance. Yeah. Um, and so um, I learned that that I think that just comes from, you know, us finding ways to make money uh-huh. in this day and age. And so, you know, it became a way for us to promote community while also trying to make some money on the side. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not 100% sure of the origin of the powwow as a whole. Yeah. I know that individually each dance has its own origin. And I think in whole, a powwow is supposed to be a healing ceremony. Um, and that's what the dancers are dancing for, is for healing. It's for prayer, for revitalization yeah you know, much like what we do ours for it's for the same thing but now it's become more competitive yeah and so um the only dance style that i'm aware of the origin is the jingle dress mm. and that originated um up in the great lakes area with the jibs the jibway they um there was a uh woman who was sick and one of the medicine men i believe had a dream and in this dream he was instructed to make this um this skirt or the the jingle dress which had over 300 um, cones and each cone held a prayer and so each time the person wearing the dress danced and moved the cones each prayer was released and it was you know put out into the world and so that dance is a healing dance where you have your um, patient and the jingle just dancers are all there to dance for the patient yeah in order to pray for them and heal them wow i did not know that uh kyle did do you know any sort of history behind like the powwow has has some somebody taught you about like the history behind certain powwow dances or dresses, regalias, uh, or anything like that? Like AJ said, I know the each category, like dance category, I think that all makes up a powwow we see today. I know each category um, belongs to certain tribes. And to them, it's kind of like, it's kind of like in a weenie sense. Um, because I always say like you got to be initiated to all these things and yeah. meet certain qualifications for all that. But putting it together, all together, a powwow, um, from what I've heard in most of them is that it's really kind of like a celebration. Because, um, I mean, if it was a ceremony, then I, they probably won't be doing all this money stuff and promotion, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, like each dance category comes from different tribes and they all have their own, I guess, Yangi. Yeah. How it got brought up. Yeah. Um, so like, like you said, the jingle dress, that's kind of more of a healing dance. Um, and it's, it's kind of like most, 
one of the older older dance styles and then traditional that's more of a warrior a warrior thing from um from the Lakota people and uh, most of the like the things that I know comes from my friend Jeremy Garcia standing soldier he's from here um but he's from from up there Lakota tribe and from the pipes yeah and so from what he's told me all these things is like you know traditional from them um the grass is uh um, I can't remember where, but it's more of a rep- representation of the prairie grass. And um, they had scouts before they set up camp, go up and um, lay the grass down before they set up their establishment. Um, kind of like that kind of idea. And then with chicken, chicken comes from Blackfoot, and that's more of a they call it a mating dance because it's kind of they're mimicking the prairie chickens from up there. Yeah, and um, and there's a little dance they do where it's kind of like trying to attract the hens to um to uh go and go you know, and uh, have, you know have, have sex and, go and you snag know, each other yeah yeah <laughs> and so and with that attitude the chicken is kind of like flirty and kind of a show off yeah and uh, with me I'm, i kind of like that with all my clothes and stuff and so i think that kind of inspired me to lean to more chicken so uh, that's why i dress real flashy and all these cool stuff so like because so one day one day I want to go up north and do chicken and, you know, all those girls are taller than me. So I need to just flashy for them <laughs> have the attention to look so down at me. Take some chapstick. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it's like that. So like you, you, you've been, you've been to powwows, right? You've been to several powwows before. Um, not in, yeah, yeah. Mostly like down here. Yeah. The only Northern powwow I went one time was at Crow Fair. Oh, okay. And shoot the crows, man. Mm-hmm. I can see why people are telling that wild. Really? But, yeah, and that, and like AJ said, because, you know, it's it's really something up there to them, powwow up north and down here. Because, I mean, we're just, the powwows down here are just like branches off. It's like from for up fun there. down here, you know. Oh, really? More, yeah, and then up there, man, it's, it's pretty fun. It's legit, pretty legit. Yeah. So, do they take snagging seriously up there or? Oh, yeah, they have a whole oh, yeah, afterwards. Yeah, oh, really? group afterwards. <laughs> All my friends that didn't wake up where we set up camp the next day. Nah, they woke up somewhere else. <laughs> I got to join the powwow scene now. <laughs> got to go snag. I take chapstick extras. Extra, 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 extra blanket. Extra blankets. <laughs> so, I mean, it's so wild hearing all this. So one of you um, probably know why they have the numbers on them. What are what are the numbers? Or is it just because of the competition or is it just? It's the you know, I don't know if it corresponds with the category, but it's to keep track of the person. Oh, okay. They're so they're all scored. And, and so now powwows are based on, on like the, the dance, the dancing. Yeah, they're, and- they're judged by how good they dance to the music. Mm. And that's um, how on beat they are with whatever it is. Yeah. And then that's how you also get the trick songs. Cause the, um, the bear, the drum group is trying to trick up, the dancers from, you know, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, Kyle, have you been in a competition before or is it just more or less like for fun? Uh, when I first started, I was at a social power and that was more of, you know, kind of a social aspect kind. Yeah. Get to know people and all that. It wasn't really intense for competition, but most of the powers I've been to, it's, there are, um, contest powers. And so that's when my competitive side comes out. 
Um, coming at home, uh, with all the stuff that my brother does, you know, go to all these villages to go in Yuma and all that. Yeah. And I like that competitive side cause I get to out dance all, all the villages, like people watching me, giving me compliments and all that. Yeah. And then so with powwow, I mean, I, I kind of carry that same attitude. Um, cause I like to see like who's all the big names and, and put myself up and say, shoot, I want to be them. I want to be that guy. <laughs> and so, I'm, um, and yeah, yeah I've, I've been placing mostly, um, beginning third place, second place, and then first place at Jimmy, Jimmy Powell. Yeah. You know, you know, I'm just waiting for the day when they actually make Hopi Butterfly a dance contest. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I can compete. We're all going to be wearing numbers. <laughs> See who's the best, uh, I don't know. who has They're, the best. Okay. Be all of us. <laughs> I don't know about that. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know. You must be dreaming or something like that. But anyway, yeah, world champ. <laughs> world champ. But anyway, you know, it's it's so great to hear the side of like how the history of of uh, powwow has came to be on the Hopi reservation, and that I it, it is a new it is a new thing. It is a new style, and a lot of youngsters are getting into there. What was that one famous group that uh, that always? That they always talk about, like you know, the Northern Cree, the Northern Cree. There you go. River, yes, watch them perform. yes, 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 yes. That's one of the famous groups that are always talked to, uh, especially here on the Hopi Reservation as well. Too, I, I always hear that. You know, they they have CDs and like you know, they're really good. Actually, they're pretty good. Um, you know, just like mu- musician wise, their yeah. com- their composure and everything's really well. I think they even did. Um, a set on one one of the award shows, the Grammy. Oh, the really? Or some whatever something it is, but they did a whole performance on the stage. And yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome. It was like a year or two ago. Nice, nice, nice. You know, I I don't uh, I don't I don't really I don't listen to powwow. So you know, it, it's not it's not a you know it's it's not a choice, but it's just because I never. And plus. I, yeah. You don't understand. I don't the understand. Language. Yeah, I don't understand the <laughs> the language. I mean, I'm pretty sure that there's Hopis out here that have probably made like uh mixtapes of uh of themselves and probably, you know, Kyle has probably did that same thing too, you know. He's made a a, a, a Hopi Hopi version. Hopi version mixtape and <laughs> tried to send it to uh, KUII. Is that is that true, Kyle? Yeah, that's what I got snagged up here. That's how you stay up here. <laughs> <laughs> Work. So, so tell me, Kyle, how, how many times have you snagged at uh, the powwow shows? Like, where's your best snagging spot? How do you, how do you get there? <laughs> um, find my best is at Crow Fair. That's it. Literally pick me up the ground. <laughs> what do you, what do you bring to the girl first? Shasta Cola or? <laughs> do you bring two, two Shasta Colas that you can't even see because it's all rubbed out? You say this one looks like grape, and I think this one tastes like Dr Pepper. <laughs> no, no snacks at Namo Powers though, because I get mad. Oh, really? Every time I, every, yeah, every time I say no, it's Indian taco, not Namo taco. <laughs> does she? Uh, does sometimes she, she says, "I know where a real Indian taco is." 
come to my tent. <laughs> he gets mad when I when I go the other way instead of into the the other side. Going the whole gun. Why you in? Why are you entering to the left? You're supposed to enter the right. You know, it, it's so it's so cool. It, you know, it's like. Because I, I, uh, the only power that I went to, like I said before, was over here. And that was only one time. And I only spent like maybe two or three minutes over here because it was loud and there was no snagging. And so I just left afterwards. So I didn't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's such a great, uh, great honor for you to be on the podcast telling us about, you know, the Hopi powwow scene and how you got started and why. And, and I'm pretty sure that you're going to keep going, uh, doing this for a very, very long time, right? Yeah, because I mean, you know, life gets too much. Even Hopi stuff gets too much. And it's um, kind of my tool to to travel. Yeah. Go to all these different places, get get the Hopi name out there. And um, But I understand that I, I'm Hopi first. And so whenever I get the free time, I do all this power stuff. But then when important stuff at home calls my name, then, you know, of course I go back. So it's not really my life. I want to say it's my whole life, but I know it's, it gives me a chance to do what I love with dancing and singing. And, um, and yeah, I, I just, when my, whenever my name gets talked about, I hope that it's about this. Oh, sure. Yeah. Kyle, he's, he's a cool dancer. Who's out there. It presents the name Hopi represents Shango instead of all the bad things. Like, you know, I don't, you don't have my name being talked around about drugs or drinking stuff like that. So yeah. It keeps me healthy, keeps me going, keeps me um, entertained. Well, that's good. Do you, uh, you know, before we go, do you have any last words of advice to uh, any youngster that is listening to this and who wants to join in maybe like a powwow or go, you know, maybe kind of integrate that in their lives there, or maybe just words of encouragement. Do you have any last words? Um, I mean, if there's any, cause like I said, I grew up kind of more traditional aspect, but I mean, throughout life, you're going to learn all the things and you're going to change your minds, your opinions. And so, I mean, if there's any, there are any Hopi that kind of want to go outside the realm of Hopi and do these things, um, you know, just keep that mind of gift, respect, cause there's a, um, you know, they always say by time is really to the core. It's not ours, but um, I mean, they're fortunate to kind of open up for everybody and participate in all these things. So just be careful, mindful, respect. Um, and then when you respect it, things will reveal itself to you and will take you long ways. Um, Cause I know it's taken me the dancing, the singing is taking me to stay through all the way to freaking Montana co fair and you meet people, you get your name out there. Um and if you treat it good and they'll treat you good. All right. Well thank you. Thank you for joining us here on Carl and J Man, which J Man is not here today. Uh so it's Carl and AJ podcast right now. So uh thank you for joining us. We wish you all the best in school. We wish you all the well and uh, you know, in, in the powwow scene in there, and I hope that everything does work out in the end. Because you know, we're we're we like to do we like to integrate things, and we would like to be happy as well too. Well, thank you again, Kyle. Yep. 
So, you know, uh, I, you know, like powwow scenes and talking about powwows and stuff like that. It, you, you see all the memes and everything like that. You see all of the, those different things like that. And it's, it, I, I kind of get it. I kind of get the, the whole idea and, you know, like the, the whole mainstream of like powwow and everything like that. So like, you know, AJ, do you have any, any last words before we go uh, about this powwow scene about like, you know, the, the whole idea behind Hopi powwow versus like, you know, just traditional in any way. I think like Kyle said, we need to remember that we're Hopi first. Um, you know, we can, we can do things that we want to, we're not limited, but again, we need to understand the origins of these things, pay respect to where it came from, understand that some things aren't ours to be done. They're not our place to be at. Um, you know, like I said myself, I don't I don't think I'll ever step into the powwow circle as a dancer, but someone who makes the regalia and makes the clothing to be worn is my comfort zone. And that largely comes from, you know, my motivation as to why I learned what I why I learned beading and um ribbon skirts and that was because, you know, my partner is from there and if we ever chose to have children or anything in that matter, but to largely give back to him and his family was my main goal. You know, I wanted to be someone who could add to their lifestyle to be part of it and not to just be there, but to be beneficial in some way to them. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. All right. If you guys have made it this long, thank you for listening to Carl and J-Man. If you guys want to donate something, go to anchor.fm slash cj podcast 85 to become a monthly sponsor it's only $4.99 or $9.99 a month and it helps us out pay for different things of subscriptions to our help to buying merchandise for all you guys out there and for our giveaways that are we will we'll be doing throughout the course of the seasons uh future seasons to come we'll be purchasing those as well too so if you guys want to donate go to anchor fm slash cj podcast 85 um just to donate or just to uh become a monthly sponsor or if you guys want to just donate a dollar or more go to buymeacoffee.com slash cj podcast 85 also if you guys are listening to this on spotify don't forget to make sure that you like and like that podcast there because it helps us in the long run. Also on Apple Podcasts as well too. We will be returning to YouTube in the future. So look out for that. Uh, I mean, like, you know, we're, we're of course, J-Man, he needs to pick up his two feet because I'm the only one that's working on this whole thing like that. And of course, J-Man, you're probably listening to this. You're, you're lazy. So... Thank you again for listening to Carl and J-Man's Save the World podcast. My name is Carl, and this is my best friend, AJ. And I'm AJ, and thank you all for listening. Bye.